Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Friuli sits in a strategic location near the Alps and the sea, two possible entryways to the rest of Italy. As such, it has historically been an important stop on trade routes and has also been a region of political turmoil as various powers have fought to control this special location throughout the centuries. Some of the early settlers in the region were from Greece. When later Friuli was part of the Roman Empire, Julius Caesar parked many troops in the region. With the fall of the Roman Empire, Attila the Hun tore down cities and caused general chaos, and the area remained in poverty until a Lombard king founded the Duchy of Friuli. As a stop on the spice route, traders brought salt, spices, wax, and silks from Byzantium to Venice. Grapevines, too, came from modern-day Turkey and Greece, and French grapes also came in from the north. In the Middle Ages, Friuli became a bustling winemaking region with hundreds of different varieties, and they provided wine for the luxury merchants who carried cinnamon, cardamom, ginger, and pepper. Eventually, the Venetian Republic expanded their umbrella to encompass Friuli, and later the Austro-Hungarian Empire controlled the region. During World War I, a series of devastating and ghastly battles between the Austro-Hungarian Empire and Italy wreaked havoc in the Asanzo area. The damage lasted decades, but Friuli began to bounce back from this devastation in the late 1900s. Because of Friuli's location at an international crossroads, the region has been ruled by many different political powers over the centuries. As a result, the culture is rich and varied. Several languages and dialects are spoken, and cultural influences from around Europe have either made their way to Friuli or been disseminated to the far corners of the earth from Friuli. Part of the unique cultural heritage is Friuli's interesting wine trade. After World War I, co-ops were the norm, but in the last 50 years or so, independent producers have brought unique wines to market. In addition to a plethora of popular international varieties, Friuli is home to some very special indigenous grapevines. Stay tuned to hear about one winery that has helped preserve and share the unique indigenous varieties of the region. 
It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T partners with an S.com. Offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand. Ivan Rapuzzi from Ronca Chiala. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. I'm good. Thank you. Nice to see you. Nice to hear you too. Ronca de Chiala. What does that mean? What does that imply, those words? Ronchi di Chiala is a Friulan word because in Friuli we have a different language. Ronchi means the hills with terraces cultivated by vines. Challa is the name of the place, of the valley, and Challa is in the Slavic dialect, means Riviera, a place plenty of sun, plenty of air, and with a beautiful view. But we are not exactly in a, a classic Riviera because we haven't the sea, you know, but we have in front of us a beautiful hill and a beautiful forest. When did your family move there? They move in the early 70, in 1970 exactly, the 1st of January 1970 was the date. Because my parents, before they did a different work, a different life, they was involved with Olivetti. You know, Olivetti is, in that time was an important company that produced tap machines, computers, and furniture for office and stuff like that. But my parents, both my mother and my father, was a little bit bored by this kind of life, uh, only numbers, uh, money, of course, uh, and uh, a lot of meetings, uh, business meetings, uh, and they wanted to change uh, his life. It was something strange because in that time in Italy, nearly everybody wants to move the country to go to the city. And my parents want to do the opposite. They want to move the city, to move their business, a good business actually, to go to the country, to have a different uh, style of life, lifestyle actually, to have a different contact with the nature and uh, to stay in contact with the environment, with God, in some way. And they look in Friuli a lot to find something to do in the country. 
Of course, Friuli had a, a very nice, very important history in wines. My father has a, a library of uh, agriculture from Friuli. He has a lot of very important books and rare books from the 16th century till today. And he studied a lot. And uh, he known how Friuli was important in the Middle Age, in the past uh, for wines. And uh, he wanted to try again and try to produce wine. That's the first part of his history. They settled in Friuli, but why did they pick Friuli? Why not Tuscany or... Because uh, they are Friuland. <laughs> oh, that's where they're from originally. Yes, they are from the region. And uh, it was uh, natural to stay in uh, his region. When uh, you live in the same place, probably from many generations, you have some connection that is difficult to understand. Uh, you feel uh, the soil, you feel your mountains, you feel your hail. You, you are uh, in symbiosis with your area. So they want to stay in Friuli. And uh, when they visit Challa, you have to think Challa in the early 70s. The Second World War was finished in the 45, so about 25 years before, not too much. Uh, the valley is not near the main road that connects the main village, main city in Friuli. So uh, there was only a small path that arrive in the, near these few houses into the wood, into the, the, this valley, and nothing else. But with beautiful terraces, with some old vine survived, and with a beautiful house, everything, of course, to fix, to repair, and a beautiful view. And they see the, the place and they wanted to change their life. And so it's a region of terrace vineyards. Yes, the, the origin probably was very ancient, very old, uh, from uh, the Repubblica di Venezia period. So probably 15, 16 centuries. And how many wineries are in Cialla today? Only Ronchi di Cialla. You're the only winery in that yes, place. Yes, we are the only producer and we are very lucky about that. Especially because we can do all the agronomic choice that we want and we believe. So you don't have neighbors next to you who might be farming differently, no. affecting your, no, no, your no. vines? Nothing. The valley is pretty small, is about four and a half kilometer long and less than one kilometer large is uh, surrounded by a hill, around 500 meters high, two small streams with water all during all the year, and plenty of forest, and very small pieces of land that can be used for agriculture. And uh, this is very, very strange and very unusual, because in uh, all the important area of production of wine, the forest, the, the bushes are as a relict inside the big vines. In Challa is the opposite. We have very small vines surrounded by large forest. And these forests are not isolated, but are connected with the forest from the Balkan area. So we have a forest in the east and northeast direction from Challa to Hungary. That means about uh, three or four hundred kilometers. 
So the air is very clean and uh, everything is very well preserved. Friuli is on the border with Slovenia and other and countries. Austria, yes. Yes, we are on the border and Challa is on the border with Slovenia, but uh, a mountain part. Uh, is a, a very uh, peculiar place because we are exactly 25 miles from the Adriatic Sea, from the Mediterranean, and 20 miles from the Alps. So uh, it's very, very strange because there is a slope of the hill where grow the Mediterranean vegetation. We have all the, the species typical from the Mediterranean region. On the other slope of the hill, the slope that fetching north, grow fagus, grow abies, as in Middle Europa. So it's really an interesting place, also from the point of view of nature, of botanic or, or entomology and many other. But there's a good chance if your winery wasn't there, there would be no more vines. Is that possible? Because there's no other winery. It's possible, but difficult. Because uh, we are proprietary of a large part of uh, the pieces of land where it's possible to grow the vines. Because it's, it's a place so extreme, because it's very fresh, sometimes a little bit cold for the vine, you can plant the vines only in the right place, fetching south, southeast or southwest, and uh, re remain not a large part, not a big surface. And uh, these small pieces of land probably have 20 or 30 properties, one uh, in Friuli, one living in, uh, in Argentina, one in New Zealand. So it's very difficult to obtain uh, pieces of land. How does that valley, Chala, how does it vary from the surrounding areas in the Friuli that grow vines? I mean, how is it different there in terms of the conditions for the vine than it would be, say, Five, ten kilometers, fifteen kilometers away. I don't want to tell them Challa is better or worse than other places, but it for sure is different. Because first of all, our area, as I told you before, is very green and very well preserved. And the valley is east to west, but the main valley in Friuli are north to south. So the exposition is pretty different. And uh, uh, so your valley goes east-west, but most valleys in Friuli go north-south. Right. And yeah. does that affect the wind? Yes, because the main uh, wind uh, go east to west. You know Bora. This, uh, Bora is the name of the wind. The, the name of the wind. Sometimes it's also very, very heavy. So does that mean that it's a fairly dry area for growing vines and that the wind comes through? Yes, we have good quantity of rain. In terms of uh, millimeters, we have about 1,600 millimeters a year, but uh, it's windy. So after the rain arrived, the, the wind and the snow is pretty dry. And so that's really a difference for you, because in all of the Friuli, it rains a lot, right? Yes, right. But your area sees stronger wind influence because of the direction of the valley. Probably, yes. So your dad and your mom decided to start a winery there. And what were their first steps in the early 70s? What happened once they made that decision? Yes. The second step was to decide what to plant, what to grow in the valley. First, they asked to many different people. Of course, everybody gave his opinion. 
and somebody suggested to plant all the different variety permitted by the DOC. Others plant only, for example, Pinot Grigio, because it's, in the time it was very easy to sell. Some other plant only Sauvignon and so on. And they decide different. They decide to grow only the indigenous variety. But only for a very simple thing. They think if from many centuries, probably thousand years, people grow some specific variety in that valley, must be a reason of that. We cannot clean, we cannot, don't think nothing about what generation did in the past. In, the, in that place. You can't forget about the history of yes, the Yes, it's not possible to, to forget uh, them because the life of that people was important. They very probably make some mistakes, but they learn because they make the, some mistakes and they choose some varieties and they forgot others. And my parents want to plant the traditional ones. And that was a good idea, in my opinion, because uh, to have another Cabernet or another Merlot uh, is not so exciting, is not so interesting. Um, in fact, if I want to drink uh, the, the most traditional, the most interesting Pinot Noir, uh, I have to, to drink uh, some wines from Burgundy, of course, or from Merlot, from Pomerol, uh, and so on. And uh, the idea to plant Schiopettino, Refosco, Ribolla Gialla, Verduzzo, Piccolit, Pignolo was uh, so natural for them. Were those grapes, were they all well known at the time? I mean, were they grapes that other people were planting as well, or was it more of a specialty item? No, not all this variety was uh, cultivated at that time, especially Schiopettino. Schiopettino in that time was considered extinct completely extinct, because historically Schiopettino was cultivated in a very small area of a few square kilometers around the Cialla area. But, you know, in the middle of the 19th century uh, arrived the phylloxera. And when arrived the phylloxera in so small pieces of land, the Schiopettino was completely destroyed by this, this pest. And people hasn't the time to save some plants uh, in another place. After Phylloxera, we had the First and the Second World War, and we was on the front line. So for other 50 years, more or less, it was completely a disaster. Uh, Friuli was really ravaged by the wars. Yes, but uh, especially the eastern part from Friuli was very, very terrible situation. My father... Uh, told me that during the, the Second World War, in the Challa Valley, during the day, was the Nazi. And during the night, the Yugoslavian partisans. So it was a very critical situation. And of course, nobody can work the vines. Everybody was involved with the, the army or with the partisan. So it was completely a disaster. So the valley was completely abandoned. And uh, together the valley, Schiopettino was lost. It was lost. There was really no one yes. farming it. No, nothing. Absolutely nothing. And uh, when they decided what uh, to grow, to plant in the valley... Your parents. My parents. My parents... Uh, 
they know Schioppettino by the memory of the old people in the valley, by some old papers and, and so on. And they want to try to find again the Schioppettino. They research for two years in the valley with the help of a very smart person, the, the major of the Comune di Prepotto. That helped them a lot because uh, he was a, a farmer. He know about the Schiappettino as well. And together they worked for two years and they was able to find about 60 or 70 plants, but not all together, one here, one there. And they take the pieces of wood and make new plants. And after two years, they was able to plant a vineyard with 3,500 new plants. And this is very interesting because we have uh, till today these vines. Uh, we are very proud <laughs> of this vine, of course, because it has uh, inside all the survived biodiversity of Schiopettino. Uh, in fact, also the University of Agricultural in Udine studies sometimes uh, our vines for the DNA analysis uh, and so we have uh, really all the survived biodiversity of Schiopettino in uh, our vine. And what do you think the origins of Schiopettino are? I mean, where does it come from ultimately, do you think? This is a big question mark because uh, by the DNA, Schiopettino, uh, till today, till now, hasn't any relative with other varieties. And this is very strange because uh, must be connected with other varieties. But the fact that mainly till now was indicated the Western varieties, we think that very probably Schiopettino are more connected with the Eastern varieties. In fact, there is a very interesting theory about the diffusion of the Vitis vinifera in Europe. And there was three different main ways. To diffusion of the Vitis vinifera. The first was from the Caucasian to the Middle East, throughout Syria, Lebanon, Israel, and then stop because, of course, the desert, the desert in Egypt. Another way is throughout the big rivers from Europe, mainly from the, the Danubio River. And uh, this uh, variety probably was uh, diffused by some Celtic population in that time. And the, another one is the southern one and was by the Greek and the, the Roman. And the, there are the most investigated uh, way and uh, connect a lot the variety from Greece, uh, South Italy and France because uh, the steps was Greece, Italy, South and France and Spain, of course. So Schiopettino hasn't any connection with uh, other varieties and very probably must have some connection with some wild Caucasian varieties. So replanting it in the Friuli, was that an easy process to get recognition for what you were doing in a period of time where, as you said, it was maybe more popular to plant something like Pinot Grigio? Yeah. Or, or My parents told me that it was very difficult for many reasons. First, because the law, because it was not permitted to plant Schiopettino. Because uh, Schiopettino was uh, not admitted because uh, considered extinct. So Schiopettino not exist, but Schiopettino in fact exists in the vines of my parents. And uh, thanks to the, the Nonino family, 
you know, the very famous producer of grappa in Friuli. In 1975, they uh, start with the premium Risita d'Aur. And for the, this premio, uh, was given to somebody who did something important in terms of agricultural, historic, in, in this field. It was a prize. A prize, right. It's a prize. Till today exists this prize. And in the commission, there was Luigi Veronelli. You know, it was a very famous uh, journalist in Italy. Mario Soldati, Gianni Brera, uh, the Familia Nonino. And they wanted to give the prize to my parents. In the same commission, there was also some people from the Ministry of Agriculture and from also some person from the Assessorato all'Agricoltura in Friuli. So it was the same people that didn't want that Schiopettino can be cultivated, but they give to my parents a prize. And for this reason, Schiopettino was admitted, thanks to the, this prize from the, the Familia Nonino. Because they were an influential yeah. family in the region. Yes, and, and uh, together Schiopettino was admitted, also Pignolo and Tazzalenghe. So all those are red grapes that are now associated with the Friuli, but at the time they weren't well known. Yes, were nearly extinct. What was being planted for red grapes in the Friuli then? Did that mean that most of the plantings were basically white? Yes, um, Friuli is very interesting because it has a very huge biodiversity in terms of variety for Vitis vinifera. In fact, in 1853, I believe, there was an exposition of varieties in Udine and there was about 150 indigenous varieties. From Friuli, now nearly all extinct, and uh, so Friuli was really very, very rich in varieties, and uh, the larger part was uh, of uh, red berries. Oh, so it used to be more of a red zone, yes, historically. More, but this is in some way logical because we are in the same latitude as Piedmont, for example, or Burgundy. Also white, of course, we, we, but not uh, Friuli is not only for white grapes. Friuli is both red and white, and mainly red, probably. Was an area known historically for blended wines from different grape varieties, or were they often single varietal wines in the early mm, days? Both, both. Traditionally, they, they did both. We found uh, old papers, uh, then people in, in the time produced uh, wines from single varieties uh, and from blend. In fact, uh, we found some old paper that has uh, white varieties. People in the valley grow Ribolla Gialla, Verduzzo, Piccolit, and then produce a single white wine. And we wanted to produce exactly the same wine with the same variety and with the vines exactly on the same terraces as in the Middle Age. And we wanted to produce again this, this white wine. In my opinion, is extremely interesting for many reasons. The first, because the three varieties are really synergic one between the other, because the ribolla give the minerality, give the freshness, give the purity in the wine. Picolit gives the complexity, gives the flavors, this extraordinary finest. And Verduzzo gives a little bit of structure of tannins. 
and this wine can age as long as you want. We have uh, very beautiful bottles from the early 19, the 92, are, are still very fresh, very elegant, very nice wines. What are those grape varieties like as grapes? What are the characteristics of those three different grapes? The Ribolla Gialla is uh, the traditional, uh, probably one of the historically most uh, diffused white variety of the area. And the characteristic uh, is, uh, is a generous variety in terms of production. In fact, uh, it's necessary to produce not too much by plant because uh, the plant is in some way very generous. In so you have to limit the yields. Yes, with uh, short uh, pruning and no any fertilization, just to keep the plant not, not too generous. Verduzzo is very interesting, in my opinion, and it is one of the very few varieties that have the tannins not in the skin, but in the pulp. In fact, it's not so good to taste, because it's always a little bit astringent, a little bit tannic, but it's very nice to produce great wine. And historically, not uh, today, but historically, we found papers that people in the past used also blended with red varieties. They interesting. Were, very interesting, yeah. Because this characteristic. And the picolit, well, picolit uh, is one of the, the most strange varieties, in my opinion, because uh, it is one of the most difficult varieties that I see. The name Picolit means poco, piccolo, in Friuland language, so small, few. In fact, the characteristic of Picolit is that he produces very small clusters with very few berries. Few berries means 10, 20 berries for each cluster. You know, a regular cluster of Tokai or Ribolla or Chardonnay has about 100 to 200 berries. Picolita have 10 to 20. So very, very small production, but uh, the plant can concentrate in the few berries uh, everything. The sun, the air, the soil, you, you have all. And uh, in the wines uh, give some uh, extraordinary characteristic. What about some of those vintages for the white wine blend that you make? In terms of what have been vintages that really stood out for you over the the time. Is there a lot of variation between years? Is there certain? Yeah. Yes, there are a, quite a, a big variation year by year. And uh, this is nice because the wines uh, cannot be the same every year. In my opinion, is the beauty of the wine. The, the, the wine can be an open book on the season, on the year. When uh, you, you, you taste the wine, you can uh, remember uh, how was the season, uh, the sun, the rain, and everything. It's interesting to note that the wine are quite different year by year, but the aging potentially is more or less the same. Even though the characteristics of a given bottle of wine from a given year may be different than a different bottle of wine from a different year of, mm-hmm. of yours, you think that the aging curve is similar? It's quite similar. Probably have some more potential, but probably the fresher uh, vintages. 
but uh, also the little bit warmer because in Friuli, especially in Cialla, we cannot uh, speak of warm vintage. We, we are in the last northeast corner near the Alps, so uh, it's not so hot, so warm. But the characteristics are pretty different, but the wine aging well. So what is that curve? I mean, in terms of if I had a bottle of your white blend, should I give it how many years before I open it or what tends to happen with it? In my opinion, the, the best start after 10 years. So you really need to give it some time. It's a wine for long. Before, uh, the wines are, are ready, are nice, are fresh, are pretty. But uh, if you want uh, the best from uh, this wine, you have to wait about eight to ten years and more. If you wait more, uh, the, the wines becomes more interesting. And what's the, the other end of that? I mean, how far does it go? What's the oldest that you've had where you thought, oh, still really great? For the whites, uh, uh, 25 years, and for the reds, near 40. So you have the Rafasco, the Pignolo, and the Schiopatino in red. Mm-hmm. And what are the characteristics of those grape varieties? Pignolo is uh, the most tannic, the most full-body wine that we produce. Is uh, a very interesting wine, is well-balanced, I don't know exactly the potential of aging because we produce this wine only from uh, four years. Oh, so, so it's a new project. Yes, for it's a new project. So, so we have to wait, but uh, we are pretty sure that it can aging very well. The Refosco is uh, more elegant, in my opinion, with uh, smoother tannins, with uh, very nice freshness in terms of acidity. And a good salinity is a little bit mineral. And the Der Fosco can age about 40 years without any problem and gives some really beautiful Auster wines. Schiopettino, Schiopettino is something different. Schiopettino, actually, from my wines, is my favorite one. And uh, Schiopettino is really unique. In fact, it's so elegant, so fine. It's not so deep in color, but uh, it's a huge complexity, a lot of flavors, uh, very spicy. It's, it's really a beautiful wine. Uh, you can uh, love or, or not love Schiopettino, but for sure, when you taste Schiopettino, you can say, okay, this is Schiopettino, this is something different. This is something unique because the pepper, because the spices, because it is a little bit balsamic. It's really a, a pretty different wine. And what about the grapes, the Schiopettino grapes and the Rafasco grapes and the Pignolo grapes? What are those like to grow? Okay, Schiopettino gives quite a big cluster with a few berries. Not as picolite, but not no, so, so close cluster. And uh, Refosco is a smaller cluster with smaller berries with a darker color. Pignolo is very small cluster, but very close. The cluster are very, very close and the skin is very heavy. And why did you decide to plant Pignolo? Because uh, Pignolo is another traditional variety from uh, our area. To plant Pignolo, we choose some uh, 
the most sunny and warm place of our property because it needs this condition to give smooth tannins. For Schiappettino, we decided to plant in the opposite condition. Schiappettino prefer to grow in fresher area. It's very difficult, Schiappettino. Schiappettino is, is not an easy variety. Probably that was a reason because it was cultivated historically in so small area, because it needs a really specific characteristic. Schiappettino, for example, if uh, during the summer, in the, the warmer days, take the direct light of sun, the berries fall down. In the morning, you have the berries on the plant. In the evening, you lost a part of the production. So really, Just from too much sun, just from direct sun. Yes. In fact, you have to keep the leaves. You have to choose a place, possibly near some small streams, near the forest. Schiopettino love the vicinity of the forest. It's something incredible, but give you really the best grapes just nearby the forest. In my opinion, Schiopettino has some uh, wild soul inside. And uh, in that condition, gives really beautiful grapes. And uh, the harvest must be quite late. That means the second half of October. Schiopettino needs times. For everything, need times to, to ripen, need times to give uh, a, a quality mature wine. So what have been vintages in your own working life that have been standout vintages for you, either because of something you learned or because of a challenge or because they went so well or vintages that were maybe a surprise? What vintages do you particularly remember? There are uh, several vintages, that beautiful, uh, talking from Schiopettino. For me, is uh, also the, the current vintage, uh, 2010, is very nice because uh, 2010 was uh, a pretty fresh vintage. Schiappettino probably give the best in the fresher vintage. Balanced and fresher. So 2010 was very nice. I like very much 2004. 2004 is... Uh, a, like a didactic Schiopettino. If you want to understand what is a Schiopettino, you have to drink 2004. It's absolutely uh, unforgettable. Very nice also 2001. I remember very nice. Uh, 99, 93 is beautiful. 91 is a, a little bit uh, pure in terms of the, the color, but of uh, an absolute elegance wine. Beautiful is also 87. 84 is fantastic, 83 as well. There are many very interesting vintages. What is the aging curve of Schiopettino? How long do you think it goes for in terms of aging in the bottle? Well, our first uh, harvest, our first vintage was 1977. And uh, the wine uh, is still very, very fresh, very nice. Uh, so I, I cannot answer how, how long, probably for uh, other 20 years, very probably. In fact, we change uh, some corks uh, in, in some vintages because the, the wines uh, has an incredible aging potential. The wines are aging longer than the corks are. Yeah. And so you got to replace the corks. In fact. And what about the Refosco? Refosco probably has the same potential, but uh, with a different characteristic because Schiopettino probably 
change uh, more in sense that uh, schioppettino you you taste an old vintage uh, now it give you some impression you wait six months the wine seems probably fresher uh, is alive in, in the bottle refosco is more uh, more serious more constant uh, is different in in uh, that terms But uh, all the wines produced uh, in Ronchi di Cialla, both white, uh, reds, uh, sweet wines, have a very interesting uh, aging potential. And uh, that must be due to the macroclimatic uh, condition, to the characteristic of the soils. Must be something connected to the terroir. And what is the condition of the soils? Is it uniform or does it change? Is there mm. different composites? It is quite uniform. Because uh, we are just in the point of contact between the Eocene, the Marn, and the Calc, the Karst. So we have some uh, mix condition. So uh, change, uh, and this is really a, a unique condition. So every few meters it might change a little bit. Yes. Because you're at a, a place where plates melt. Yeah, exactly. And also in the lower part of the valley, of course, the soil is more deep. In the top of the hill, the soil is very thin. So, so yeah. sometimes there's a lot more topsoil than other tops. Mm -hmm. In terms of what grape varieties do you find working in higher topsoil better? Better for Picolite Pignolo. I see. What would you say would have been the stages of the winery? It starts in... 1970, it's founded. First vintage of Schio Patino was 1977. Yes. What have been the major milestones for the winery since that time? For all the our variety, the first harvest was 1977. In uh, 1989, was uh, the geographic delimitation of Cialla Valley. So we can use the, the name Schioppettino di Cialla, Refosco dal Peduncolo Rosso di Cialla, Verduzzo di Cialla and Piccolite di Cialla. So it got a DOC. Yes, it has a, a geographic delimitation. But the most important year for Ronchi di Cialla was 1995 because we obtained the subzone. Subzone is the Italian terms of cru in France. In fact, we have a specific rule to produce our wines. First of all, the, of course, the, the vines must be inside the, the valley, the Cialla Valley. Second, in Cialla Valley, you can grow only in the indigenous, the indigenous and most traditional varieties. Then you can produce less than the adjacent area. In fact, our adjacent area, Collio Orientale del Friuli, DOC, and Collio DOC, uh, you can produce 11 tons per hectare. In Cialla, you can produce maximum six, so half. And that for improve the quality to uh, obtain uh, wines with aging potentially. So 1995 was very important. And uh, we have uh, the crew, the, the, this... Uh, denomination Cru Cialla, and uh, we are the only producer. So Cialla is a monopole of Ronchi di Cialla. When did you start working full-time at the winery? I was born in the, the, in the vine, so I, I remember that uh, I uh, helped my parents uh, during the harvest, during some work in, in the cellar when I was a child. Full times, uh, probably when I was about uh, 20, 
20 years. Okay, I studied at the university, but my main job was in the vine. And you studied entomology? Yes, I study uh, agricultural, and uh, entomology is uh, my second life. Why did you pick that? What draws you to that field? Entomology is a passion. I study a specific group of uh, beetles, of coleoptera. In detail, is ground beetles. In Latin, is carabide. I study the genus Carabus from the Holo-Arctic region. That means I study this group from Portugal to Japan and North America. I make different collecting, many collecting uh, travel throughout uh, Europe, uh, Middle East. Uh, I travel a lot uh, to Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, Iran. I travel uh, Far East Asia, in Tibet, uh, many times in China and, and so on to collect uh, this insect. I study the taxonomy of these insects. I described about 100 new species for chains. So in the way that your dad found and brought back to life vines, you also found and brought back to life some insects that were, were not noted, basically. Yeah. Yes, of course. Uh, I, I study also the, the first. I study the, the, the insects of uh, my valley, of my my, my house, and uh, I found that uh, the the valley is inc- of an incredible interest. And I can tell you that because I compare the fauna that I found in Challa with the fauna that I found in many different places around the world. And in Challa is something incredible. But there is a, a reason, there is a specific reason, because we are just between the Mediterranean, we are near the Alps, we are connected with the Balkans. So in, in our area, we have a huge biodiversity. For example, in terms of insects, we have larger, a bigger biodiversity. In, in this small, small valley of few square kilometers, we have more species than in the whole uh, British Iceland, for example, or in the whole Germany. It's something incredible. And we have to preserve this biodiversity. And this is one of, is a part of my philosophy. Uh, we want to, to do agriculture. We want to produce uh, possibly great wines, but uh, first of all, we want to live together all the, 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 the animals that God wants that they live in the same place. So when it came to vineyard pests that were maybe affecting the vines, what was your approach to those? First of all, we decided 25 years ago that we wanted to use any kind of pesticides against insects. Because we uh, have the lucky to have small pieces of, uh, of vines surrounded by the forest. And uh, the parasites of the vines are the same species that are living in the forest. But in the forest, uh, the parasites have the natural predators. So we have so close to the forest and the predators live together, the, the parasites, and uh, have a natural equilibrium. So we have uh, to do nothing. And this is beautiful because it's really possible to do a sustainable agriculture. But it's necessary, first of all, don't have too large fields. So you can't have like a monoculture. You can't have just vines. Yes, small pieces. This is the, the, the first thing. 
for example, is something is very interesting. You know that uh, the highest level of protection for a species is uh, the CHITES program. The species belonging to CHITES are the, the, the most problematic, the, the most weak species that exist. In our vines, we found three uh, species uh, protected by CHITES. And uh, this is something unique, completely unique. What are CHITES? I'm sorry. Uh, CHITES is uh, uh, an international program to protect the, the, the species that uh, are nearly to extinction. I see. So you found things that were near extinct. Yes, we found three of these extremely rare species living in, in our vines. And probably this is something unique. So maybe don't hit them with the pesticides. Yeah. <laughs> maybe fact, just at the basic yeah. level, you know. In our uh, small streams that are just nearby the, the vines, lives uh, the wild shrimps of sweet water. That uh, also the species are nearly extinct in the whole Italy, probably nearly extinct in Europe. And in the valley found like uh, an oasis. And this means that we don't use nothing for, that can create pollution in the water. And this is very important. So not using chemicals, preferring organics in the vineyard, and then harvesting native grape varieties. What happens when they come to the cellar? What do you do then? It's the, the same philosophy. We, we adopted the same philosophy. So our cellar is very simple. We have uh, nothing special. We don't use uh, any selection of eels. Uh, it's, it's very natural. Only our wines needs time. We don't use nothing for uh, clarification. Uh, only time, only time. In fact, uh, we release our wines uh, later because uh, they need uh, the, the, the right time to, to complete the process. You let the wine settle in the winery? Yeah. And how long does that process happen for the different wines that you make? It depends. For the Schiopettino, the Refosco, we release the wines after five years, minimum. This is, uh, in our opinion, uh, the minimum time to propose to our clients, uh, to our friends, uh, a wine with the proper characteristic. So how do you go about fermenting the different wines? What's the vessel? For the reds, uh, we, uh, we do the fermentation in stainless steel. And uh, uh, according to the vintage, it uh, takes uh, three to four weeks. So and that's a long ferment. Very long, yes. And the secondary fermentation, the malolatic, uh, we'll, we'll do in uh, oak. For the Cialla Bianco, the wool fermentation is in wood. Oh, okay. So yeah. that's interesting that you do the reds in stainless, but you do the white in, in wood uh, for uh, fermentation. Yes, also Piccolit and Verduzzo, the same. All the, the time in, uh, in wood. Does that have to do with the tannins? or What's the advantage of fermenting the reds in stainless? Yeah, because... Uh, we prefer to use stainless steel to do the remontage and the batonage in different uh, ways. Sometimes uh, we, at the beginning we want to give a little bit more of air, so we do some delestage that is more easy in, in stainless steel. And, uh, but immediately uh, stop the, the fermentation of the wines. Uh, 
put in 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 wood. So it's easier to do the punching down and and pumping overs and steel. Yes, I see. That makes perfect sense. So you press off the skins for the white blend, or is there some skin contact? There is a skin contact. According to the to the vintage, uh, one, two, or three days. It it depends to the characteristic. Not like orange wine level where it might be several days, but just a few days depending on the vintage. Yes. And then they go into wood, and what kind of wood is it? There are uh, oak from France and a part, only a small part, from Slavonia. Oh, okay. And what kind of sizes are we talking about? Are they large wood containers or smaller? No, there are regular, traditional barrique. So like 250 yes, liters? Yes, 225. And only a part new, about 20%, and the rest used one time, two time, and three time. Because we prefer to fill in the wine, the, the terroir, and not the, the wood. And how long do the wines spend in wood before they're bottled? About, uh, it, it depends, a minimum one year can be two. So most of their aging at the winery is in bottle? Yes, it is. We taste the wines and uh, we decide to release a part and keep a part for a longer aging. Oh, you do? You keep a reserve cellar for yes. later release? Yes, yes. This is very important. In fact, we have a library of all vintage uh, we have uh, n- nearly all the different vintage still available. Are they the same wine, the one that you release early and the one you release later? Are they the, from the same parcels and the same batch, just aged longer? Something? No, no, it's, just, it's absolutely the, the same wine. It's the same wine. The same wine, yeah. In terms of vine age, does it vary a lot? I mean, obviously the Pignolo is all young vines, but is there a lot of older vines, a lot of younger vines? or How does it work with the different varieties? We, we have uh, vines, uh, the oldest are from 40 to 50 years old, and the younger are about 80 years. And uh, we decide to use the, the grape belongings to the old vines to produce the crew wines, and the grapes from the younger vines to produce uh, more simple and fresh wines. Your Rebola Giala varietal bottling, for instance, would be from the younger vines. Yes, right. And the older vine Rebola would go into the blend. Exactly. Because I think a lot of wineries would do it the other way, where they would put the younger wine into a blend and put the single varietal from the older vines. Yes, it depends. And you also make sweet wine. Sweet wines, we produce uh, Piccolite and uh, Verduzzo. For Piccolite, it's interesting because uh, we have a beautiful vines of Piccolite at the top of the hill. And uh, there are a few terraces from the Middle Age. And the name on the maps uh, on the, that place is Piccolite. So we produce uh, a Piccolite in the crew of Piccolite. This is very interesting because that means that in that place, people grow picolite from centuries. And this is a really interesting place because when snow, this is the first place where the snow goes away. And the first place during the summer where the, the, the grass becomes dry. And there is the pretty condition for picolite. Very sunny, very windy very clean, a beautiful, really a, a beautiful place. Uh, Piccolite we produce in uh, the wine in the old traditional way. 
So we keep, uh, we take half of the grapes for a, a drying, a natural drying of about two months. And the, the, the rest stay on the vines for a late harvest. For Verduzzo, the second white sweet wine that we produce, we don't do any drying, but only late harvest. That means regularly in November, when the leaf fall down and arrived the first ice. So Verduzzo is pretty cold hardy then? Yes. That's a great variety. It can yes, stand it the cold. And what would you recommend for aging of those wines? How long does it take the Piccoli or the Verduzzo sweet wines to come around? As long as you want. We, we, as the reds, uh, we, we have uh, uh, bottles from the 70s and are really beautiful, really beautiful wines. Do you find a difference in terms of the quality of the the sweetness between a, a wine where you've dried the fruit and a wine where it's, it's hung later on the vine? Is that a different kind of sweetness? Yes, it is. It is a difference. With the late harvest, we obtain wine sweet but not sweet. Luigi Veronelli created the definition of wine dolce non dolce, basing on our Verduzzo. Because uh, the wine, your first impression is sweet, but immediately the, your mood becomes very clean, very fresh. Picolit is nearly the same, but uh, has uh, some more sugar, but is perfectly balanced by the acidity, by the minerality, especially of, of the wine. Also, uh, the, the texture of the wine is not like oil, but uh, is, is very fluid. It's like a, a, a dry wine. And, uh, for me, this is beautiful because I don't like very much so concentrated wines. And I would imagine that those wines aren't made every year. No. We cannot produce sweet wines every year, of course. We miss some, some vintage. Has there ever been a time where you tried to make a red sweet wine, like from Schio Patino, for example? No, no, we don't want because it hasn't the characteristic. To produce a sweet wine, you have to start from a concentrated grape. Schiappettino is light for nature, so it's beautiful to preserve this characteristic. You have to feel the, the wind of the valley. You have to feel this, this characteristic. And this is beauty. Picolit is different. A cluster have only few berries, so they are naturally concentrated. And we help just the nature. But we, want, we don't want to, to change. Also, Schiappettino is not a traditional to, to produce a, a sweet wine. The tradition of Schiappettino is a dry red wine with characteristic of a fine, elegant wine. So what kind of cuisine would you enjoy with your different wines? What's typical for you to eat? There are many typical possibilities, but in my opinion, a good food, you can pairing with a good wine. So everything is possible. Really, everything is possible. Especially the Schiopettino is, um, is very funny because it's elegant, it's fresh, but it's very complex. So you can use from some seafood, for example. Traditionally, we, we use with some seafood, but also with... Faisan, for example, stay very nice, very good uh, with uh, mushrooms, with truffles. 
with some cheese is really nice. You can use this wine in many different ways and have a pleasure to try with a different food. You planted Pignolo recently. Are there other changes coming to the winery? Do you have other projects in the future? In the future, our main project is uh, is to better understand uh, some varieties. For example, Pignolo is the new entry, so probably we have uh, to to understand and to know better this variety. But we we don't want to improve with the other wines uh, our our production. We want to be concentrated and understand better the valley, the potentially, and the quality of our wines. In fact, every year is a, a new history because it change a lot. The climatic condition change everything. So every year you have to understand something new. Ivan Rapuzzi of Ronca de Chiala. He knows that every year is a new history, but he's not forgetting the past. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you very much. Ivan Rapuzzi of Ronca de Chiala. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.